Well, good morning. I was wondering how everyone was going to get back in their seats after that. <laughs> um, it is a pleasure to be here, and I want to thank you, Pastor Evan, for inviting me to be here for this celebration. And there is much to celebrate today. It's kind of a special day, a joy-filled day. Uh, not only is that the theme of Advent, uh, it's the theme of your celebration. It happens to be your senior pastor's birthday today, so there's a lot to see. Yes, yes. So it's kind of an honor that I get to preach on your birthday, and I feel sort of a sense of pride, if you will, holy pride, mind you, uh, because I was involved in helping you uh, find Evan, which, you know, obviously that's kind of ironic when he grew up in the church, right? But uh, that was the longest search, perhaps, of any search, which tells me the search team was very serious. They wanted the golden nugget, and frankly, I think they got it. So I'm really delighted. Yeah. I'm probably in trouble for speaking too much. <laughs> okay, good to know. Well, I want to congratulate you, first of all, on behalf of the Midwest Conference for 125 years. And as you know, or might not know, the Covenant Church was only around for seven years before that. So you actually are pioneers. Yeah, early pioneers in the Covenant. But 12 and a half decades we get to celebrate of God's goodness to you, of his faithfulness. And, and I want to thank you for the influence that you've had for the kingdom of God. I want to thank you for those who have found Christ here, who've been discipled in your ministries, baptized, maybe uh, gone through confirmation, been married, laid to rest here. I want to thank you for those you've sent out into the mission field who are now serving as pastors and lay leaders and worship leaders in contexts all around the world. And of course, your wonderful work in Mexico that we just heard about. Thank you so much for the innovative ways in which you've reached into your community right here in Lincoln. And of course, it was fun to learn a little bit more about your daycare, about your kids' first daycare here in Lincoln. So thank you for that and for your support of Covenant Cedars. That's been really significant. Many of you investing time in your generosity in a place where kids have come to know Jesus and it's had such a profound effect in the lives of children. So thank you for that. And for the ways in which you've supported our shared mission all across the Midwest Conference region so that new churches can continue to be planted and, and gospel territory taken for the kingdom of God and so that we can come alongside established churches like yourself, churches that have been birthed many, many years ago. But we find a great delight in seeing all of our churches be a healthy and missional expression of the gospel. And of course, it's because of churches like you all across our conference, all across our denomination, that we get to see lives changed and communities transformed because of the presence of the local church. So thank you. You get to be a part of what it is that God is doing. Amen? Amen. That's what an anniversary celebration is about. So it's a joy to celebrate you. It's a joy because God has used you in some mighty and powerful ways. Now, I uh, brought my husband Kelly along. Kelly down here in the second row. And we're also celebrating an anniversary this past week. We just hit 34 years. So we're kind of excited. All these anniversaries, right? <laughs> Thank you. 
And I believe when I was with you last that I had one granddaughter who I was very proud of. And of course, her picture ended up on the screen. Well, I need to tell you, I now have two. And in an effort to be fair, there you go. (laughs) This is Garnet and Briley. Being a grandma has been one of the most wonderful things that's happened to me. Anyone here a grandparent? Is it not absolutely the most amazing thing? And really it reminds me on a daily basis of how important it is that we invest in future generations to to model a life of faith in Christ and to share Christ and that amazing life that's only found in Jesus. We get to be the ones who kind of model that and, and bring that into the lives of others. So I am a product of praying parents and praying grandparents and a church that loved me and cared for me and prayed for me even when I maybe wasn't very lovable, but they did. So I have a very high view of the church. And I love celebrating anniversaries for that reason. And ironically, I was just with Salem Covenant in Oakland a few weeks ago where Pastor Bob Call is interiming. So that's kind of a neat connection right there. But this is a time when we look back and we reflect on the good things, the the faithfulness of God to us, and to remember that all he's done in order to look forward. There's a word, uh, sankofa. Sankofa means to look back in order to move forward. And in the covenant denomination, this is actually the title of a unique journey that uh, we take with pairing together an African-American brother or sister with a Caucasian or brother or sister, uh, going down into the deep south and reliving some of the moments of the civil rights era, visiting important monuments and museums and things that help us to remember that time together. In that journey, what we're doing is we're remembering the past so that we can live together in the future righteously. Amen? Sankofa looking back in order to move forward. And I just returned from a Sankofa last month, so it's kind of fresh on my heart, a profound experience, if you will. And it struck me how, in a way, isn't that what we're doing as we celebrate the anniversary here? We're looking back. We're reliving some of those wonderful moments. We're remembering God's faithfulness to us in the good times and in the challenging times. And and I've even been here for some of the challenging times. I remember them well. But not to remain in the past, but rather for that to propel us into God's future for us. Looking back in order to move forward. So as we celebrate 125 wonderful years in the life of First Covenant, all that God has done in you and through you, we also look forward to what it is that God is going to do in this next season. Amen? Amen. So this is uh, Advent, obviously. I thought about what I would preach, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go with preaching on the church. Because guess what? This is a celebration of birth, a 125-year-old church. So this is a season we celebrate births. That's what we're going to do this morning. Let me pray for us as we begin. Oh, Lord, we are so grateful as we find ourselves in this Advent season celebrating the coming of Jesus, anticipating his coming. What a pleasure to gather together in your name. We celebrate your work today in and through your church, a church that was birthed 125 years ago. And and so I give thanks for the people of First Covenant Church. But we also look forward to what it is that you're going to do, God. 
And so as we look into your word this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit will awaken us to new possibilities and a renewed commitment to the work that you've called us to in this day. In Jesus' name we ask it. And all God's people said, Amen. Sonny Bonani. There we go. <laughs> Can you say that with me? Maybe we'll have to practice it. Sonny Bonani. Sonny Bonani. Wow, you guys really trust me. You, see, you have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> That's actually Zulu for hello. And last year I was in South Africa. I was with a group of people from Covenant World Relief. I have the pleasure of serving on the Covenant World Relief Advisory Task Force. And for those of you who don't know, Covenant World Relief is that arm of the covenant that brings relief work and disaster community development work around the world. You help support that. And I had the privilege of going out because I helped to evaluate actually how some of those resources are allocated to be in South Africa with some of my colleagues visiting one of the partnerships where we do our work, a place called Zamele Wetu. And it's a ministry that comes alongside Zulu women. And I was I was able to go out into the villages and see how women were being empowered by learning how to start businesses and save money and work together to improve their communities. A couple pictures up here. And I was so moved because as I traveled around in these villages, no matter how little these women had, and believe me, they had very little compared to our standards, no matter how hard their lives were, they were so proud of their accomplishments and they were so full of joy and I could see how some of them had been lifted in their communities out of significant oppressive situations and despite the challenges that they were facing everywhere we went there was joy, there was dancing and singing and praying and giving all thanks to God for what he was doing and it was literally contagious, it was beautiful. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that a particular video of me sharing in a dance with Cecilia Williams, our executive minister of Love, Mercy, Do Justice, doesn't show up on the internet anywhere, but that just gives you a sense of how, how infectious that joy was. And as I continue to reflect on that experience where I learned so very much, there are a couple of takeaways that I want to mention this morning. One is this. I am so proud to be a part of a denomination, churches like you, that care deeply about seeing the gospel lived out around the world. Yeah. And the second thing I would note is this, the church has a vital role in seeing lives changed and communities transformed, which also happens to be a part of the mission statement of the Midwest Conference, churches working together to see lives and communities transformed. We get to partner in this amazing work of God, to join him in what he's already doing here at First Covenant in Lincoln, across the Midwest Conference, even around the world. And it reinforces for me a deeply held conviction that I feel to the very core of my being, that the church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. Jesus said when he was talking to Peter, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus is saying the church is the hope of the world. 
So this morning we're going to talk about the nature of the church. And uh, hopefully you can see some threads in common with Advent as I talk. Hopefully at least the birth of a church and the birth of a baby. It seems fitting as we celebrate an anniversary that we would talk about the church because we are part of something that is so much bigger than just ourselves. We talk about the nature of the church so often it's drastically misunderstood today. In fact, it's not uncommon for me to hear someone make a comment like, well, you know, um, Jesus was great, but uh, I'm just not into church. Or I'm not really into organized religion. Some have said, you know what, I I love Jesus, but, but I'm done with the church. And so my question for you this morning is, Is it possible to follow Jesus and not be part of the church? Just let that rest in the back of your mind. Some people think of church, they think of a building like this. Some people think of church, they think of a a service, a a one, a one and a half hour, I don't know how long you go here, but a service once a week. Some people think about professional ministers or denominations. And and those things might be a part of the church, but boy, those surely are not the essence of the church. The church is far more beautiful and mysterious and sometimes messy and vibrant. I love the church. And I am convinced that the church is the hope of the world. So I'm going to talk about four reasons this morning as to why we love the church. Reasons why we here can love First Covenant Church. Four reasons we love the church. And the first is this. The church is people. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Here's what it says in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. I think we should sit up a little taller in our pews this morning, don't you? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Wow. Isn't that amazing? You're royalty. You are sons and daughters of the Most High King. Would you turn to someone next to you and say, good morning, your highness. Okay, that's enough of your highnessing here. (laughs) You get my picture. I was going through the pictures on my cell phone. I looked at them last night. I'm up to 11,707 pictures on my iPhone. Okay, having two granddaughters, I'm just going to say, may be having an impact here. But I'm looking through them. I happen upon pictures I took in 2015 when Kelly and I took a trip to Israel, one of those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. I can't say enough about it. I know a few of you are going to go in 2019. I'm flipping through these pictures, this wonderful experience that I had in Israel. And, you know, I really loved a number of places there, the Sea of Galilee, the the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, places where you could literally walk where Jesus walked, where you could pray where you knew he knelt and prayed or worship where he worshiped. And the stories of the Bible just come to life in a special way. This is Caesarea Caesarea Philippi, (laughs) a mouthful here in this picture. This is actually the place where Jesus said to Peter, 
On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. Now, you can see that rock, and you can see how it brings it to life. But we also visited a number of mosques and churches and temples, all kinds of huge and elaborate structures that have been built there, built for worship, I'm sure, originally, but now used mainly for tourism. Some of these places were literally spectacular. Others were so overdone they felt like they were gaudy. The one in this picture to me was a little over the top, but I have to say that it was in those places where I found it to be more difficult to connect with the life and ministry of Jesus. In fact, I actually wondered as I was in some of these places, is this a place that Jesus would spend time in if he were here today? It's remarkable that Jesus never asked us, his followers, to build him anything by way of a structure. He never asked us to build a church building. He never asked us to build a monument or a statue. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he was talking about building a church of flesh and blood, of people who embody and live out his message, people whose lives are an expression of gratitude and praise because he's called us out of darkness and in to his wonderful light, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. That's who we are. The church is people. Amen? Yeah. That's why I love the church. The second reason I love the church is this. The church is family. And one of my favorite verses in scripture is found in 1 John 3. See what love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. When you come into relationship with God, you come into relationship with a family. There is this sort of vertical and this horizontal aspect to salvation. Now, families don't choose each other. By virtue of being sons and daughters of God, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. You get to choose your friends, right? You do not get to choose your family. Some of you are painfully aware of that at the holiday time. But I want you to just look around this morning at the people around you. These are your brothers and sisters. Now, brothers and sisters can argue, they can get irritated with each other, they can become frustrated, they cannot see each other for a while, but they're still brothers and sisters. Nothing can end that relationship. We are brothers and sisters because of our bond with the common father. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. He said, we belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we have been chosen from eternity, accepted in time, and united for eternity. So another way of looking at this is just simply say, hey, we are stuck with each other <laughs> forever, <laughs> for better or worse. And so maybe, just maybe, when we're sitting across the room from someone that we've somehow in our mind decided, well, we don't really like them all that much, we need to ask ourselves, did Jesus bring us together for a reason? What can I learn from this person who Jesus handpicked to be here? And how would Jesus want me to grow our family with this person? Even if they think different than me or act different than me or just irritate me. Guess what? We are an eternal family, right? Yeah. I think of my own family. 
My granddaughters need us. Isn't that wonderful, grandparents? <laughs> we have such an important role in their lives, praying for them, loving on them, sharing faith with them. And you know what? Someday I'm going to need my kids. Maybe someday when I'm no longer of sound mind and body, they're going to perhaps need to make decisions to help me. In the same way in the church, we take care of each other because it's our family. And we come alongside when there's been a loss, perhaps a health crisis or a job loss or relationship difficulties, grief, tragedy strikes in so many forms. That's when family comes in, right? And you care for each other. You can't be a Christian alone. It just doesn't work. That's why Hebrews 10 says, let's not stop the habit of meeting together as some have done, but keep encouraging one another until the day Jesus comes back. I heard of a young man who was struggling. He had come to faith, but he had withdrawn from everyone he knew, all his Christian fellowship, his brothers and sisters, and he was drifting, and he was doubting, and he went to an older man he, who he knew was wise and could be trusted, and he sat with that older man in front of the fire. He was out on their back porch, and he was talking about how alone he felt and, and how cold and dead he felt inside. And he's talking to this older man, and this older man's just listening. He doesn't say anything because... He he's wise, <laughs> figured a few things out. And, but eventually the older man reaches into the fireplace with a pair of metal tongs and he pulls out one coal. It's glowing red hot and he sits it on the hearth and he continues to listen to this young man as he talks about how alone and cold it feels. And he watches that coal go from fiery red hot to ashen gray to cold and black. Without saying a thing, that young man left knowing exactly why his faith had grown cold. He had withdrawn from the place where the fire burned the hottest and, and he couldn't sustain his own flame all on his own. And that's because we were created for vertical and horizontal relationships in the family of God. There is no such thing as a lone ranger, is there? This is our new identity as family. And God looks at us and says, you are my children. You are my sons and daughters. And therefore, we are brothers and sisters with one another. I love the church because it's people. I love the church because it's family. The third reason I love the church is because it's a body. 1 Corinthians 12 says, Now you're the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And oh, how I love seeing the participation this morning of all ages. I love that you're seeing that happen in the middle of your worship service. That's such an example of being the body of Christ. Paul is saying here, you are the church. You are Christ to the world, and each of you represents Christ wherever you go, in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhoods. You are a representative of Christ with all the responsibility and all the privilege that comes with that. A young man said to his pastor, Hey, I tried to call you last week. pastor said, Why? He says, Because I ran across a young woman. And she needed help. 
I mean, she needed groceries, and she needed a place to stay, and, and I kept calling you, and I kept calling you, and I couldn't reach you, and I was getting kind of miffed, and so finally I bought her groceries, and I made some arrangements for a place for her to stay, took care of her. I'm just irritated, Pastor, because the church should have done something. Thank you. <laughs> the pastor looked at him and said, yeah, I think the church did. <laughs> Because we are the church. We are the ones out there making a connection and representing Christ. Because you are the church. Every time you invest in others, every time you volunteer your time or mentor a student or reach out to a neighbor, befriend a new person, every time you put something in the offering for missions or or call a friend and pray with them or bring a meal, you are Christ to them. Every single person in this body, every person brings gifts and talents, and we can't afford to have any part of the church disengaged. There are no optional parts to the body of Christ. And Paul says here the body, all the parts of the body are indispensable, even the ones that appear to be less important. Oh, no, because there is nothing insignificant in the church of Christ. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it, and your role is important. Fourth reason I love the church. The church is a holy temple. Timmy was one of those kids who always got in trouble in kids' ministry. Maybe you have a kid or two like that here, I don't know. Maybe you were one of those kids here at some point, Pastor Evan. I was a bit of a Timmy in my church. Timmy was always getting in trouble in the kids' ministry, and they didn't know what to do with Timothy. So what do you do when you don't know what to do with something? You traipse that child into the pastor's office, of course, (laughs) which is something like the principal's office, only maybe a little bit worse, scarier, I don't know. So they bring Timmy in, and they sit him down, and the pastor doesn't know what to do. pastor's just as clueless, and so he looks at Timmy and says, Timmy where is God? And Timmy jumps up and runs out of the office and starts yelling, dad, dad, come quick. They've lost God in the church and they're trying to pin it on me. (laughs) The question is valid. Where is God? It's probably not the right question for Timmy, but it is a good question. Um, Ephesians 2, I'm going to read from verses 19 through 22, says this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The New Testament answers Timmy's question, where is God? God lives in you. God lives in us. That's where he is. The only building the New Testament refers to is a building that he's building out of living stones, out of people. We are the temple of God. Because we are made to be a temple, there is a longing in every human being to have God dwell in them. 
It's part of our created order. Augustine said this, he said, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Because we were made, literally created, to have the presence of God within us. When you join your wagon up with Jesus, (laughs) that's kind of an informal way of saying it, when you become a Christ follower, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and is active in you. It also speaks here of temple in a, in a corporate sense, a gathering of Christians, because there's something about when we come together. This gathering, for example, should be different than the Lincoln Country Club, right? Because we host the presence of God. Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am. So we are a temple. Jesus built his church, not like one of those amazing structures that I saw was when I was in Israel or any other place where you can see these kinds of things, but out of flesh and blood to host the very presence of God and to be a visible demonstration to a watching world of his life on display through us. The church is not this building. In fact, when we leave here today after the festivities are over and things have been cleaned up and the last person is out the door, the church will have left the building. So when I ask the question, is it possible to be a Christian and not go to church? The answer is, you don't go to church, you are the church. You are the hope of the world. You are Christ's representatives wherever you are, in every place and at every time. And so today as we look back over 125 years, and we're remembering 125 years of God's faithfulness here, of God's goodness to you, of the favor that he has shown towards you, the blessings to this family, and and even as he's been faithful to you in those challenging times as well. We celebrate those good things. It is important, and we are thankful for the many ways that God has used this body to reach people for Jesus. But this is not the end of the story. In fact, this anniversary is like a Sankofa. We celebrate all that God's done in and through First Covenant of Lincoln, not to just remain in the past, but rather to propel us into even greater mission, to be stronger and more courageous and more encouraged. We look back in order to move forward and to commit ourselves to this common mission to see people transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ and to find additional ways to live that out and to introduce people to Jesus, to see them grow in their faith, to see the Holy Spirit take root in their lives and to see them mature so that they can be empowered to be sent back out to serve the community. And so, First Covenant Church, I would say to you, Let us not rest in any glory days. There's a whole litany of wonderful things that have happened here through this church. But let us not rest there. But use all that God has done in and through you to catapult you into even greater mission. To find new ways to reach more people with the love of Jesus and to see the kingdom of God expand. So that our prayer might be fulfilled that his will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. Please join me in prayer.
Lord, we thank you for the privilege of gathering together with brothers and sisters. And we thank you that you've chosen us as your special possession, that you've made us a family, and that you look upon each one of us as indispensable to your body, that you choose to dwell in us and your Holy Spirit is made alive in us is just almost too good to be true. How precious these people are, Lord, to you here at First Covenant and how significant they are to your work in this world. And so I thank you for this congregation and for your faithfulness to them over 125 years. We celebrate their birthday today. But I pray, Lord, that this next season will be full of hope and purpose and that this family will find deep satisfaction in following you where you lead them. And I pray, God, that your spirit will fill First Covenant Church to overflowing, that they may continue to be a blessing far beyond these walls, that lives would be changed and communities transformed with your compassion and your mercy and your justice because you have planted this body at First Covenant right here, these believers in this place. May they know the joy of this, O Lord. And we pray that all of the glory will be returned to you. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.